Welcome to the House Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message by Pastor Stephen Sexton. If you would like to know more about the House Church, please visit our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the House app. Well, I'm excited. We are starting a new series, and uh, the series is going to be called Keep It Real. Oh, Keeping it real. And so we're excited. Uh, we're going to go through a uh, really all um, each chapter of James. And uh, it's going to be a little different. So for those of you that have been trucking with us for a while, typically I'll throw a couple verses up there, and then uh, we'll, we'll expound and talk about that verse. But... But we're going to read a lot of verse today. And so we're going to walk through. So it's going to be a little deeper in the sense that uh, we want to pull out the Bible. And I think that for our culture, uh, man, we got to know the word. we got to know the word. And so um, it's important for us to dig down and to grow and to mature and, and to allow the word to help teach us and renew our mind. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Come on, there! it is important and it's vital for us as a church to be about good work. To be about good work. If the church isn't going to impact the community, then there isn't really a need for the church. If we're all not going to come together, if we're all not going to grow in our faith, if there's not going to be a part where we can encourage each other in our walk, then it's a little like, okay, is this a club? Is this like Boy Scouts for community? Is this the Lions Club? And the reality is God never wanted church to be a club. He wanted to, to be the catalyst for a believer's life where someone could come in, be taught, trained, developed, encouraged, healed, transformed to go out and do the calling of God on their life. And so that's what the church is for. And this morning we're starting a new series called Keeping It Real. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to dig down into this book of the Bible called James. You know, we live in a world that's ever changing. Ever-changing. Styles change, seasons change, systems change. And in all of that change, uh, we need to realize that God doesn't change. Yeah, that's right. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we look at James chapter 1 this morning, it's a sober reminder that in order to thrive in our faith, it's going to take work. Work, And I know that that's kind of like a, uh, maybe a bad word <laughs> in our culture. Sometimes it's a, a cuss word. I don't know. Oh, oh, go to work, work, do work. And even in the, in the church, it's like, well, we don't work. But we're going to see how important the process of work is in James. God does not want us to just be saved. That's... The goal is not just salvation, but we're going to see through chapter 1 of James that, that there are four points that I want to pull out in this chapter as we read it. I believe that God wants us to surrender, that God wants us to build our faith, that He wants us to overcome, and that as a believer He wants us to mature. And I believe that that is what God has calling us to do as believers. James is a real practical book. It is my hope that 
this series will stabilize your faith in an ever-changing world. And we got to have to learn how to keep it real. You know, look at someone real, real quick and say, hey, keep it real. Come on, it's all right, it's all right. We're a talking church. There was like two people that did it. Come on, look at someone and say, keep it real. That's all right. Keep it real. Because it's very easy to dilute our faith and it's not as real and authentic as it, as it should be. You know, our faith has got to be strong. And so let's use this time together to inspect our heart and see the areas that need to be strengthened. There was a man uh, the other day, I heard this story, there was a man who was being tailgated. This uh, woman was coming up behind him and she was, and she was tailgating, you know, just riding on that bumper. And uh, he got so frustrated, he got to a yellow light and he just stopped. Stopped at the yellow light. Well, she just went ballistic. She rolled down her window. She was yelling, cussing, you know, giving the hand gesture toward heaven in the middle. Uh, and so uh, she was just irate, uh, honking. Just. And so just right across the corner was a police officer. So a police officer comes up, knocks on the window and says, ma'am, I need you to pull over. And she's like, ugh. So, I mean, without, without incident, without talking, I mean, he just took her. And he said, ma'am, I need you to come with me. He got her in the police car. He, he, he started taking her down to the precinct. And uh, he starts running her information as he's driving. And uh, he pulls over after about 15, 20 minutes. He goes, ma'am, I am, I am so sorry. I, am, I, am, I just need to apologize to you. He said, I came up and I saw you yelling and honking and flipping that guy off and I mean cussing. And, and, and I, I, I looked at the car and I, you know, I saw the choose life uh, license plate. I saw the what would Jesus do bumper sticker. I, I saw the, the gold fish on your bumper. I saw the logo of your church on the window, and I thought for sure you had stolen this car. <laughs> you know, and, and the reality is James is going to talk to us a little bit about how our deeds in our life, words, bumper stickers, that doesn't match what we believe, doesn't match our deeds. James was, is the oldest New Testament letter in the Bible, and James was the half-brother of Jesus. And he was not one of the original 12 apostles. And, and, and as we look at this, all I'm going to do is I'm going to break down um, the portions of the scripture into these four words, surrender, build your faith, overcome, and mature. So let's pray and let's start. God, I thank you for what you're going to do. I pray that as we open your word, Holy Spirit, you would allow it to illuminate our understanding, change our life, heal the things that are broken so that we can do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Alright, let's look. James chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. It's just like the hello. It's like, you know, welcome to the house. It's just the, hey, what's up? But but I think we need to stop right here because within this, this one verse is a lot. And I want to just kind of bring us up to speed on what's happening in, in this letter. It's interesting to me that James starts out saying a bondservant. Now, for, for those, that's not really a word that we throw around a lot. But let's, let's kind of look into what that word. That word means someone who voluntarily gave their life up to serve. And they are a part of 
the property of their owner. So right off the bat, we see James describing his position to the Lord. You may think that this is no big deal, but I I find it interesting that it says, God, Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, And I I think that as we begin, we need to understand that that James was not necessarily, he didn't start as, as a believer. In John chapter 7, verse 5. Let me turn there real quick because it gives us insight to the, to the conversion of James. John chapter 7, verse 5. And some of these are, most of these are up here, but um, I just want to throw out a little bit more so you know I'm not making this stuff up. James chapter 7, verse 5. For even his brothers did not believe him. John chapter 7, verse 5. So his brothers did not believe. And now he believes. Now, now, here's the thing. is There are three James in the New Testament that the Bible talks about. This James is the half-brother of Jesus. And we, we learn a lot from the beginning of this letter. You know, what surprises me is that his skepticism has now left. Because we see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, all three Jameses are present in that place. So James is there. In fact, it says uh, Mary and all of the brothers were in the upper room. Okay? And I don't know if, I don't think that that's what they meant by calling them the crew. I think it was actually his brothers. You know what I'm saying? Um, What surprises me is what's not there. What's not there. James, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, was a pillar in, in the church. And James was present at the Council of Nicaea. And so you, you may not know much about this, but the Council of Nicaea was the doorway where Gentiles could hear the faith and, and come in and be saved. The whole council was set up because salvation was for the Jew first. But in this council, Paul stood up and said, no, 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 we need to let the Gentiles into the faith. And so this was a major moment because this is the the thing that really caused the gospel to spread to anybody that would hear it. So this is a big moment. James is there making the rally cry. James was written about 49 AD. And I want to show you how this proves right off the bat. Go back to that verse. It shows his character. James was a pillar in the church. And when he begins the letter, he doesn't start out writing, Hey, this is your boy James, pillar. Pillar of the church. You know, don't even, I really don't even need to introduce myself. I mean, come on. We are in Northwest Arkansas where titles matter for everything. Come on, you're the president, the vice president, the CEO, the chairman of the staff, and the joint of the I mean, we, we love titles. Everybody loves titles. But here James does not start with his title. He starts with submission. That's big. Not only that, is that he shows us that the higher you go, the more you serve. I want a culture of people who are leading and serving and, and preaching and teaching and leading life groups and leading worship. And, and, and I love today. We had Stephen here today and we had our, our other worship team not here. And we're always filtering. We're always training. We're always developing. And for all of my young leaders that are here, for all of those that have just come and just started to be involved in our church and you're leading life groups and helping, can I tell you, the higher you go, the more you serve. Yep, that's, right. that's just how it is. 
Jesus was not the one that said, hey boys, I've been walking a lot, I need y'all to wash the feet. You know what I'm saying? I need y'all to kind of work this out. No, what did he do? He, he washed their feet. The, the Bible says that those who want to be the greatest, come on, serve. That's not our culture. I want to be the greatest. You know, that means I have to walk on you to make me great. Does that make sense? I have to use you to get my ladder leaning in the right position. But what the, what the very first part of James says to us is the higher you are, the more you need to talk about who you serve. Another thing that I think is interesting is that he doesn't boast of being kin to Jesus. He's not like, hey, this is, this is James, part of the first family. You know, Jesus, yeah, me and Jesus. I gave him a wedgie one time at school. You know, I mean, me and Jesus, I was around him. We, I mean, I kind of know him better than y'all. You know, I mean, he's my brother. You know, I mean, none of it. None of, uh, of his credentials, not telling anything about uh, him using the family card or using the trump card. Or, man, I'm part of, you know. I think another thing is he shows us right off the bat that we won't successfully serve the father if we deny the son. You know, because he was a Jew... He honored the Father God, but there had to be a transformation in his life where he came to accept the Son. Now, you don't think that that, listen, I have four kids, and I, and I, and, and I have an older one, and, and his, the older one is 11 years old. And it, when I say, all right, older child, you are in charge. We are going to walk around the block. It's Trevor, you make the call. It's like a coup up in this thing. You know what I'm saying? The youngest one's like, I'm not listening to you. I mean, everybody's fighting and jockeying position. You know what I'm saying? And they're all like, you know, you can't tell me what to do. I mean, I can't. The fact that his brother, what did his brother see and experience that would make him go, you're it. You're it. You are the one we've been waiting for. James was stoned to death. James was a servant of God and both Jesus. And he talks about the 12 tribes being scattered among the nations. That was because the stoning of Stephen had just happened. There was attack on the believers and there was hostility against Christians. And in, in this early stage of believers, they were being targeted for what they believed. This is the culture of the letter that's being written. Now let's, let's jump into this. James chapter 1. Some of you are like, okay, this is going to be really long if you take that long on each verse. We're going to kind of put them in, in sections. My brethren, count it all joy whenever you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives all, to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. Let's look, I'm going to go ahead and keep reading here. Let the lowly brother glory in his, in his exaltation, but the rich... In his humiliation, because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner 
has the sun risen with the burnt heat, then it withers with the grass. It, the flower falls and its beauty and appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. I think the second thing that God wants to show us, so the first is, as we begin to open up this letter, the first right off the bat is that James is trying to teach us that you're going to have to surrender. It all starts with surrendering. You cannot grow if you haven't surrendered. You're going to have to surrender your, your, your idea, your faith. You're going to have to surrender your past, your background. You're going to have to surrender to let God come in and really do a work in your life. But the second thing that's going to happen is you've got to build your faith. Most of us are annoyed by fake people. People who talk up, name drop, self-promote, and work on manipulation. You know, and, and, and it's like, I don't know if you've ever met anybody, but it's like, you know, they want to make sure that you know that they're perfect. But the reality is we all know perfection doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. You know, the perfect title, the perfect job, the perfect family. You know, they're working hard to get that Instagram Insta game right. You know, I, I've got I've to produce everything and make sure everything is at my best. But while it's okay to present your best, we know that not everybody lives at their best. Right. Not every day. And there are going to be hard moments. There are going to be moments where it's difficult and in those days, we need to be reminded to continue to build our faith. The Bible isn't asking us to pretend like thing, everything is always okay. It's calling us to live above how we feel. That's a difference. If we're going to keep it real, the reality is there are hard days for all of us. And, and based on what, what you came out of or what denomination you came out of. But the reality is if we don't teach people how to deal with the struggles of life. See, I'm not saying the struggles overtake you. But I'm saying that you have to walk through some things sometimes. You have to walk through. And if we act like, oh, well, you know, nothing ever bothers me. Well, you're lying. That's right, yeah. You're lying. And we can't. The church will not relate to lost people if all we have is liars. We, now, we've got to tell them, hey, I was broken, I was this, I was that. But God came in and did a work in my life. And maybe it was a, a practical work, maybe it was a supernatural work. But God does a work in my life and the hard moments didn't define me and it didn't stop me. That's right. God has got something for me. The Bible's not asking for us to pretend like everything's okay. But to build our faith when adversity comes, it will take a few things. And I, I want us to walk through a few thoughts here on how to build our faith. First thing is we got to consider. The Bible says count or evaluate. Listen, it, it's very easy for us to respond in a way that's not healthy. And there is more to this world than just the natural. There is a supernatural element to our faith. And we can have joy in the midst of struggle. We can have joy in the midst of struggle. Because here's the thing. If life has to be perfect for you, then all I can tell you is all of your relationships are dealing with a, a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety because life isn't perfect. And so if you're only happy when life is perfect, then you ain't never happy. Yeah. You're never happy. You've got to consider what's going on and, and where to, what am I feeling? How am I leaning? Am I offended? Am I upset? Am I, did I assume? I've got to deal with all of these thoughts and I've got to think higher thoughts than just how I feel. I've got to know. What do, I, what do I need to know? I need to know that God will never leave me or forsake me. And just because it gets hard doesn't mean that I'm all alone. 
Understanding that the enemy is the one that comes to shake your faith. The enemy is the one that comes to destroy you. The enemy is the one that wants to leave you offended, broken, entitled. The enemy wants to do that. God wants to come in and be a catalyst of growth for your life. But we have to, the next thing is we've got to let him. You know, I don't know about you, but you may be someone that, you know, you just want to get it done as fast as you can and work as hard as you can. And, you know, if there's ever an obstacle, you, because you are the personality you are, you just handle things. But I have learned in my life that there are some things that I can't push forward. There are some things that just a call and networking don't fix. And sometimes God's trying to do something in my life and I've got to allow Him to do it rather than trying to push and move this thing where, where it will just leave me alone. And I think a lot of Christians, they, they want to pray away every adversity from their life, but adversity is the thing that perfects your character. Adversity is the thing that perfects it. You know, there, there are times that you go through hard stuff and you deal with hard stuff. And... That, that's not meant to kill you or destroy you. You've got to find joy in the struggle. And that's why Christians are attractive. They're attractive because what should have killed you didn't. It's attractive to know that you went through a divorce or a breakup or, or, a, or a bad business deal or whatever. I mean, there are some people, you come on, you know them. Forty years ago, they're still talking about the one issue that happened. I'm like, nothing good has happened in your life in 40 years? <laughs> like, that's the issue that we're talking about? That's the thing? Like, we were starting to talk about games and tea and basketball and then, and all of a sudden we went to that? It's like all of the conversation was setting me up to segue into this one moment that you carry around. And I'm like, hey, stuff happens to all of us. Yeah. I love it when people go, well, you know, you know, we love this church because, you know, the last, the last church hurt us. And I'm not saying, you know, obviously, I'm not trying to belittle that because I know when when you trust a house, you want that person to live righteous and full of integrity. But if you have found a place where everyone's perfect, you need to stay there. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's not. You know what I'm saying? Well, that church, yeah, I know we'd be perfect except for we have people here. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and everybody's trying to figure out how to do it and how to do life and how to be married and how to do parenting and how to get, and, and we're all just trying to figure it out. And so God's going to have to use us in spite of us because if he waits for, it doesn't make sense. That's just part of life. And so generally people are offended when there was unhealthy expectation. And here's the thing. I... I want to model before our church life, but I'm not asking for no pedestal. So just go on and pull me down and may, I put my underwear on just like you do. And I'm gifted to communicate it, but I'm not gifted to live it. And so we all have to live it together. That's the reality. But people have always been trying to promote someone to, to be higher than what they can be. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel wanted a king like all the other nations. When David was running from Saul, the, David's head, head a warrior said, Hey, the, King Saul's right there. Take him. And then you can be placed as king. There's only one king in your life. And that's Jesus. That's, right. that's it. 
Now, I think that there will be some people that will help you along the way. And the reality is there will be many people that will help you along the way. You've got to let God work in you. The last one is ask. Come on, you've got to ask with the heart that believes. God had said in the scripture that we just read, divine access and aid is available for those who ask in faith. Don't doubt. Trust Him. Well, pastor, I, I prayed and I got nothing. And where was God when I needed Him? You remember that? I don't know if you ever heard this poem. It's called Footprints. It came out a long time ago. But, the, but I'm going to paraphrase it. Basically, the point of Footprints was that this woman had gone started journeying with God and they were on the shore and they were walking together and she said when I began my walk with you there there were these two sets of footprints and we we were walking together but then the storm came and the tide came and and it got dark and it got hard and and in my darkest moment you were those footprints went away where were you and God responds to this woman and, and he says the reason that you saw one, fair, one set of footprints is because in your darkest time, I was carrying you. You, you, you weren't able to carry yourself. I, I was carrying you. And I think that sometimes we, we are frustrated at God because He doesn't meet all of our demands. And can I tell you that we submit to Him? He does not submit That's good. to us. That doesn't mean that he doesn't work with us. And that doesn't mean that we can't petition. And the prayers of the righteous avail of much. I understand all that. And that does happen. But the reality is we serve him and his agenda. He does not serve us and our agenda. The writer talks about walking with God. God's greatest desire is to be welcomed and asked to be involved in your life. And his greatest hurt is to be doubted. God will always wait for you to humble yourself to need Him. Well, if He's God and He's good and He's a good father and He's a good daddy, then then obviously, you know, uh, He should just fix everything. But if He, God is not into entitlement. God is into sonship and there's a difference. Entitlement says you can have everything I have, but you don't need to do anything for it. Sonship says... You have everything that's within the kingdom, but you have to manage it, and you have to grow it, and you have to watch over it. There's a difference. See, God is into sons and daughters, not into entitlement. He wants us to take the seed. Remember the talents? One, two, five. He wants to take it, and He wants us to grow and use Him as the catalyst of growth. God doesn't want to be doubted. Is God going to work? Is God going to do it? Is God going to come on and we all get there? I don't know about you, but there are many times and the the children of Israel were were people that God freed out of captivity and they had stories of struggle and and like every time they thought God was going to do it, then they were not sure if God was going to do it. It it didn't matter if they came up on on a huge sea and an army coming at them. There was always these moments where they thought, well, what are you going to do now? And I don't know if you feel that way, you know, where it's like everything's going great, but what are you going to do now and what are you gonna do with my family and what are you doing with my mom and what are you gonna do with my dad and these kids of mine oh lord what are you gonna do and then it's like but here's the deal he's faithful all you gotta do is ask him all you gotta do is ask him 
Faith is the key that unlocks blessings in our life, but you cannot waver. When we come to God, God wants us to come, come to him with confidence and a surety. But those that waver, come on, waver. I don't know about you, men. I don't know if your wife ever wavers when you're taking her out to dinner. I'm sure that probably never happens. Maybe you're a man here and sometimes you waver when, when you're wanting to go eat something. But there has been maybe one occasion or two <laughs> where I say, hey, babe, what do you want? And she's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, well, do you want this? And she, yeah. And then we get there and we start driving. I don't know if I want. And I was like, okay, we're driving over here. You want this? No, I don't know if I want it. And, I, and here's the deal. At the end of this conversation, I'm still hungry. <laughs> you, 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 you cannot ask God to invade this area of your life and then every time you see something that doesn't look like he's working, you say, you're not doing it. Well, I, and, and so you're tossed by every wind and wave that happens. And the enemy is not going to let you just grow awesome faith. Yeah. You're going to plant a seed and he's going to steal it. You're going to grow something and he's going to come in and try to dig it up because he's trying to keep you unstable. He's trying, to, he's trying to hurt your stability because you won't grow anything if you're unstable. Don't waver. James chapter 12, verse 20. Let's, let's read this. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to him. Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. We could stay here all day, don't have time, but I'm just telling you, there is something in you. What are you saying? I'm saying that everybody is tempted by the glory, the gold, or the girl. That's how, that's how it comes. There is only three techniques that the enemy uses to bring temptation into your life. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Those are his arrows, and we put on the armor of God so that when those arrows come, we have the faith to push those back. But that is the way that he comes. I remember when I was a kid, and I read the verse that Jesus was tempted in all ways, and I thought, dang, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. Jesus was jacked. You know what I'm saying? But he was tempted in all platforms. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's why he could be tempted in all of it. But he didn't succumb to any of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Everything that you'll ever go through are going to be those. It's going to be glory. You want the glory? You want the gold? Or guy or girl, you, 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 you want somebody. And I'm not talking wanting in the nice sense. So, what, what's wrong with wanting people? Um, 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. There's a process here. There's a process here. Here's the thing. I meet so many people. Well, Pastor, Pastor, I thought I, I had a terrible thought. Well, did you act on it? Nope. Did you ponder it? Did you think about it? You know, did you really think about it? No, I just, it just came in. 
And so I need to renew my mind. I have a terrible mind. Well, here's the thing. You cannot stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. And the reality is the enemy is going to bring thoughts all the time. You know what I'm saying? You marry your wife. You love your wife. She's the greatest person today in this moment. I hate my wife. You know what I mean? It's just these moments that come and all of us think this way. Don't, don't be like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Sicko. You know, but the, the reality is we all have thoughts that come. But do you entertain the thought? Do you dwell on the You're right. He doesn't love me. They don't. You know, that's right. And now you have, you've let this bird build this nest. And now you, this, this little thought is now this, oh, my boss does hate me and he's out for me. I'm going to get it. And now it's, you're carrying this big old thought that the enemy was just like, dude, Dude, you know, man, you're, you're supposed to swat, you know, man, you just got to swat these flies and get them away from you. But if you allow it to build and move into, into growing, thinking, pondering, acting, doing, dead. That's what the Bible says. And so that's why the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season because there will be a season when it's just a little bitty thought and then it grows into a little bit. Then, but then after a while, here's the thing. It will lead you to death. It will destroy your life and it will hurt you bad. It'll hurt you bad. See, we've got to build our faith. We've got to overcome. Look at this. 16. But do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadows of turning. Of all of His own will, He brought forth by the word of truth that we are making, that we might be a kind of first fruits for His creatures. So then, my brethren, let every man be swift to hear Slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The third one is overcome. We've got to overcome. And can I tell you this? I want to talk a little bit about temptation. We've got to overcome what the enemy is wanting to do in our lives. And we are most successful to temptation when you are tired, when you are discouraged, and when you are depressed. When you are tired physically, you've gone here, you've done here, and there's a lot of us that travel. We jump on, you, you, you jump on a plane, you'll be here and there. You had to get on the plane at six because your business does not want to pay the extra $100. And so now you're having to be at the X and A and be here and come back and do, and before you know it, you're, you're just tired. And now you said something that you didn't want to say or you acted in a way you didn't want to act because you're just tired. Come on, the greatest thing you could do, the, probably the most holy thing that you could do is shut your mouth and take a nap. Because whatever the biggest problem is will probably not be that big once you get up and, hey, how are you? I love you. What's up? How you doing? How you doing? Take a nap. You're too tired. You're discouraged. Come on, you thought you would be here by now and your career would be here and, and that you would already have this and you would already do this and there would already be kids and marriage and houses and, and you're discouraged and so you, one of your friends texts you or calls you or you creep on somebody on Instagram and you're like, <sighs> and you don't want to live vicariously through anybody but you are and they're like so happy and you're like, so not happy. And so the enemy 
uses those moments to be able to come in to your life and make you do something or act somewhere or do something and you feel like there's an allowance to do in this flesh. Come on. Depressed? Depressed because maybe you did something that you didn't want to do or you handled something inappropriately or, or you thought you'd be further along and you just the enemy, you just... I'm having one of those days where I just really don't feel good about me. And he will come in and try to knock you off what God's plan is for your life. Don't get me wrong. Temptation can come when life is going great. But James, in this moment, the church is being scattered and people are being killed. And he is trying to solidify their faith by saying, stand. Don't give in to the temptations that are around you. Don't do it. When temptation comes, you got to consider the consequences. Come on, the consequences. Can I tell you this? Every man in this place, every woman in this place, I love social media. Social media is great. But don't reconnect with someone that you shouldn't be with. The reality is it's all there. And when it comes to temptation, there is always more at stake than you think. Always. Always. The enemy will always try to trivialize what could happen. Remember the garden? Eve's going up to get the fruit, and the enemy says, Ah, nah, what's he going to do? I mean, make it a spanking, but it ain't worth it. Ain't it worth it? No, 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 it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. When, when we're tempted, we've got to consider the goodness of God. Are we confident that God is not against us, that he is for us. There is a difference between a, a temptation and a test. There's a difference. A test is something that you receive to let you know where you're at so that you can assess yourself so that you can continue to grow. Tests are not wrong and are not bad. There are times when I hand my kids money and I say, hey, bring me back change, and I test them in that. I, I want to see them handle it appropriately. But it's not a temptation. Does that make sense? I don't lay out five new gaming systems to my son when I know that he loves them. And I put, you know, $100 bills by all of them. And I, and I make this gaming so incredible knowing that his mom said, you need to go to bed in one minute. God doesn't tempt us because God knows us and he knew us from the foundations of the earth. And so he knows your weakness and he'll never bring your weakness before you. That's the enemy. The enemy still kills and destroys. The enemy is the one that tries to take advantage of your weak moments. That God wants to strengthen your weak moments and make you strong where you were going to be weak. God will help you find a way of escape. It says that there's a way of escape for temptation. He will never leave us. God is not the source of your temptation. And we cannot blame God when things don't work out. We're not blaming God. Well, well, I went to church for five years. And look what happened. Well, can I tell you this? Going into a kitchen don't make you a chef. I'm glad that you're here, and honestly, we got vision for you being here. But, but the enemy wants to quickly steal the word every time it's planted in your heart. And sitting here does not 
really mean that it's going to the next level and producing something in your life. Come on. How many conversations have you been in where it was like Charlie Brown? <laughs> Whatever. Shut up. I'm done. You know, man, it's just like, you know, just, uh, uh, come on. There's hearing and there's doing, and that's our second part, and then we're going to be done. Okay? Give me like two more, three more minutes. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. This one will be blessed. If anyone among you thinks that he's religious but does not bridle his tongue, O oh Lord, but deceives his own heart, his religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Visit the orphans and the widows in trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. The fourth point that James is trying to let us know is as a believer, you got to mature. You got to mature. And so there are, there are three ways that he tells us in this section to mature. Number one is remove any area that's holding you back. What's holding you back? What area is, is bringing compromise into your life? What area is holding you back? Because the reality is God wants you to live an abundant, fulfilled, walking and blessing life. Now that is, I'm not just talking about like financially. I'm just talking about there. I can live a blessed life because everything I put my hand to is working. Does that make sense? It's working. It's working the way it was supposed to. Our marriage is working the way God created it. Our family is working the way God created it. Our finances are working the way God created it. That is a blessed life. Now the reality is this. What do we need to remove? Isn't it interesting that James is writing to the believers and he's saying, bro, clean your house. Clean your house. Get rid of some of those areas. What, what, what hurt? What rejection? What wickedness? What stuff is creeping up in your house and it's causing you to live defeated? Anger, pride, jealousy, rage. We got to get rid of that stuff. The second one he says is, is he talks about being a hearer. Many people say, well, you got to be a doer, not a hearer. No, no, no. He didn't say that. You've got to hear because you can't hear unless you do. You can't do unless you hear. You've got to be able to hear it and hear it and understand it. And you grow and you, begin, you continue to hear. Listening and learning is powerful. And we've got to be a culture that is learning and listening and hearing. And the last is this. He talks about being a doer. You guys can go ahead and start, Stephen. Being a doer. And I really think that that in the next season of, uh, of, of us touching the city, because we're going to touch the city. I got, I got some dreams in my heart. I got some things that I want to do. But we're, we'll always have broken people in this church. And we'll always welcome broken people. But... Ministry that affects people comes from people who are growing. That's the reality. 
and we we, we got to mature, we got to grow. And it says it, it it's interesting to me that it it talks about doing, meaning knowing and doing are different. What are you doing with your tongue? What are you doing with your tongue? Well, that's just how I was raised. My mama was that way. She just told it how it was, and you know, I understand how'd that work out. That make you want to stay till you were thirty, or to make you want to leave when you were twelve? How'd that work out? Okay. How are you doing with your tongue? How are you doing with compassion? Did Jesus save you so that you now could do feel good about life and do whatever you want? Or I mean, widows and orphans, and you know, for me, this is home. I was adopted from a foster home. My parents got divorced. I want to see our church move into adoption. I want to be what we're for, not what we're against. I am hoping and praying that by the time I die, that our church is able to facilitate and help over a thousand babies being adopted. That's a vision of our church. I want to be a part of it. I don't want to be against it. I want to be a part of it. I don't want to be a church that we're against this and we're against this. I want to be a church of what we're for. Yes. That we're life-giving. Are you compassionate? Or are you annoyed by people's problems and issues? Oh my God, y'all are so weird. Oh Lord, don't touch me, don't touch me. Is that a problem for the church? If we're, that's a problem. Art, you got to do, got to be on guard. I love that he ends this verse talking about don't be stained by the world. It's very easy to be stained. But luckily, we have a Savior who washes it all away. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message ministered to you. Feel free to let us know on the Connect tab of the House Church app. We hope you have a great week.